Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Today, we be sipping on some new coffee that I got in the mail. It is from Unicorn Coffee, which, fun fact, is the Olympic gold medalist, Sean Johnson. It's her and her husband's coffee. Um, we have the East Side Sunrise, which is like a Columbia, just a good old blended coffee. <laughs> you have nothing to say? <laughs> it's good. She comes over to my house and make her coffee. This is what I get in return. I'm sorry. I So on the way here, I was listening to an episode of Lake Lanier. Do you know about Lake Lanier? No. Okay. Well, it's a lake in Georgia. My aunt used to live on it. So like we used to go there in the summer and like go on the lake, go on the boat and like stuff like that. And oh, it fucked me up. Oh my God. I was getting chills in the car. I you can't are believe in a little that bit my, of a mood. I can't believe my mom let, I texted her. I was like, I can't believe you let us go in that lake. That should be considered child endangerment. It's crazy. Like you have to listen to it, but they found like almost 700 bodies down there. There's like 25 that they still haven't found. Oh my God. It was built on all this shit. Like, oh my God, I can't, I can't. Well, that makes sense. I'm a little out of it right now. I think everybody's about to be real out of it because (sighs) this week I am going over someone, someone's, I guess, mostly someone who haunts my fucking dreams. (laughs) And writing this case has been a nightmare. Journey. And a journey. And I played Erica like a very small clip of a audio that we are going to get into later. And she was like, turn it off immediately. Never play that again. Three seconds in. It was like four words. You're like, nope, turn it off. So the coffee is great, by the way. If you haven't gotten (laughs) the unicorn coffee, you can get it online at just shopunicorncoffee.com. It's really good. I recommend it. Anyway, that will, that is what we'd be sipping on. You guys have been giving us a lot of really awesome feedback. So we just wanted to say thank you so much for your support and for telling people about the show. It's awesome. We appreciate you. Keep doing that. And if you aren't following us on Spotify or subscribed, is it subscribed on Apple Podcasts? Uh, yes, on the Apple um, Make sure you go do that so that you know when we have episodes coming out. It's every Wednesday, but you'll be notified. And make sure you go leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. And uh, the case that we are going to be going over is the serial killer known as the Toy Box Killer. His real name is David Parker Ray. (laughs) Basically, at first, I'm going to talk about his childhood, kind of give you a background of who this man was. I love it. Why he is the way he is. David Parker Ray was born November 6th, 1939 in Bellin, New Mexico. David went through a very neglectful childhood and kind of was passed around to many different family members. His mom and dad were very neglectful and ended up abandoning him around the age of 10 and sent him off to live with a very abusive grandfather. His father did come into the picture every once in a while. He would literally just come in, drink a bunch, beat the crap out of people, and then would like leave. But unfortunately for childhood David Parker Ray. His dad left around all of these like magazines that were really gross, really masochistic magazines, torture, pornographic for anybody to read. That's good. Yeah. He was a neglected child. So 
obviously he's going to get his hands on these things. He's going to read them. He's going to see. And this is really all he knows. So he relied on this fairy tale world that he lived in these magazines. Most kids read Dr. Seuss. Yes. Well, this kind of porn became his obsession from a very young age. He was super shy growing up. He was bullied in school. He was very shy around females, like did not want to be around any female students whatsoever because he had zero clue how to interact with them besides (laughs) what he saw in those magazines. He had sexual fantasies like rape and torture and murdering women because it's really all he knew about sexual relationships since he was learning, again, from the porn his father had left. His sister even discovered drawings from a young age that were of women being tortured and beaten and murdered, and nobody did anything about it. They were just like, oh, here's David's drawings. My child, David, with... True visionary. (laughs) A Picasso. (laughs) Even as a teenager, he saw a commercial for Viagra. He contacted Viagra when he was a teenager to ask if the medication could help him achieve an erection without hurting someone. I would love to hear that phone call. I don't ever want to hear that phone call. No, I want to hear the person on the other end. I want to know what they said. I don't have that information, but... (laughs) I can't imagine it was good. After high school, he worked as a mechanic for a little while, and then he went into the Army. wasn't in the Army for very long. He received an honorable discharge. So David Parker Ray, as you would assume, didn't have a very good relationship with women. Uh, He was actually married and divorced four different times and had two children. So he had one son, David Jr., and he had one daughter, Jessie Ray. David started working as a park ranger slash mechanic in Elephant Butte Park, uh, which is in New Mexico. All of his coworkers and boss thought of him as like a super nice guy, charming, quiet, but he would go out of his way for anybody to do favors for them, whatever they needed. His boss even put him on paid leave when all of uh, the things that I'm about to talk about unfolded. So people really thought highly of this man. Never in a million years did they expect what I'm about to get into. Before I get into that, though, let's go over his much younger girlfriend, Cindy Hindi. Yes, that is her real name, Cindy Hindi. She also grew up in a really bad situation. She is from Seattle, Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible situation. (laughs) Terrible. From Seattle. Cindy Hindi was the daughter of a pageant-obsessed mother. We're not talking about, you know, Cindy Hindi being in pageants. We're talking about her mother being in the pageant. And my mind immediately went to Lori (laughs) Vallow. I'm like, Miss Texas, what? (laughs) Cindy was sexually abused by her father, her stepfather. And at the age of 11, she told her mother, but her mom didn't believe her and stuck with the stepfather. They kicked Cindy out. So at the age of 11, she ended up being on the streets, dealing and doing cocaine. Apparently, she was a very violent person. Multiple people who were interviewed later on in her life said that she would have beat the shit out of anyone. (laughs) She was apparently a really small lady, but like built with muscle. She ended up getting pregnant multiple times while living on the streets of Seattle. And she sent the kids away when the oldest was about 10 to live with her mother. Oh, he was 20 years older than her. That's why I said much younger. I thought you meant not that much younger as in like five years. No, I don't mean like a, like a Hugh Hefner He was situation. 57 when he met her. Yes. She was, oh, okay. 
So there's your information on that. And his daughter was 31. Correct. <laughs> you would be correct. Okay. I just had to get some clarification that really cleared things up. For real. So Cindy abandoned her children to go live with her mother, who I don't know why she did that because her mom didn't even believe her and kicked her out at a young age. But like, yeah, let's send the kids there. FBI agent Mary Ellen O'Toole said in an interview with Oxygen uh, when they were doing their episode about killer couples, she said, if someone is sexually abused as a child and emotionally abused, psychologically abused, that's certainly going to impact them later on. It's so weird. I have that article pulled up right now. <laughs> Literally at that line. Oh my God. Yeah. So obviously children that are abused in all of these ways, it's going to have an impact on them later on. Don't even take my word for it. Take the FBI agents. <laughs> At 37, she got busted for selling drugs to an undercover cop. So she left for New Mexico and continued her behavioral issues by getting a DUI basic, like right when she got to New Mexico. She performed community service at the park where David Parker Ray worked as a park ranger. Yes, this is how the two met each other. One of the main things they had in common was actually a love of sadism. And as I was reading this, I'm like, great, cute, awesome. In January of 1999, Cindy moved in with David after only being together for about eight months. Again, a quote from that Oxygen article about killer couples. Reporter Yvette Martinez said they seemed to feed off of each other and Cindy got an opportunity to let go of all of her inhibitions. This was kind of like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> These two very messed up minds got together and started living together very quickly. And this is kind of uh, where it all began, at least with the two of them. So now we have Cindy and David Parker Ray. It's believed that David Parker Ray did not start these things when he met Cindy. He had been on a killing spree since around the mid-1950s, which came to light when we um, are going to talk about our victim. He may have kidnapped and tortured and murdered up to 60 women. The reason they know all of this is because he had detailed diaries of all of the women, and it included dates and times and locations with detailed descriptions of where he captured them, what time he put them in different rooms, and you know exactly what and where he did these things to these women. He would write about if he let the women go or if he killed them, but he never wrote where he put any bodies. Genius. <laughs> Genius, I tell you. So no bodies were ever found. He lived near a giant desert, uh, one of the largest man-made lakes as well. So he kind of had the perfect area to do what he was doing. So up until this point, David Parker Ray had been doing this, obviously, as I said, for a very long time and never been caught. I want to talk about how this man finally got caught and the story of the victim who kind of led us to all of this. So on March 22nd, 1999, at 3.22 p.m., a 911 operator in Sierra County received a call. 
The caller was not responding when the operator answered. So the operator was like, hello, like kept saying, is anybody there? The operator said that she could clearly hear that there was like a scuffle going on in the background. And the dispatcher just kept saying like, hello, is anybody there? Do you need help? And then the phone went dead. So the dispatcher was very unsettled by this. She was like, I need to call this person back. There's clearly something going on. So she called the number back because the caller obviously hung up and a woman answered who was clearly out of breath and told her that she accidentally called 911. <laughs> Again, the dispatcher really didn't feel right about it. And so she called the police to tell them that they needed to do a wellness check at the address, 513 Bass Road. Things were not well. No, they were not. So the town that David Parker Ray lived in was called Truth or Consequences. Mm-hmm. It was, <laughs> which I kind of found like very strange. I'm like, hmm. This town was mostly full of trailers along the, uh, I am going to butcher the name of this desert. And I've looked it up like eight times. It's called the Vashishwin. Vashashwin. Vashashwin. Vas. Anyway, it's like the third largest desert in the Northern Hemisphere. And the lake that I spoke about, it was Elephant Butte Lake. And obviously the state park, which is where he was a park ranger at. So the wellness check was performed by Deputy Olston and two other park rangers who decided to help out after they heard the call over their radios. When the two park rangers were on the way to the home address, they saw a woman pulled over, waving them down. She said she had just saw a woman covered in blood with a chain around her neck running down the road. The two park rangers were the first ones to show up at the house. They said the house was in shambles. There was piles of garbage everywhere. And they said they knocked a bunch of times. Nobody was there. A call came in on the radio as the rangers were waiting for the officers to show up. Again, of a woman running down the road covered in blood with a chain around her neck, but on a different road than they had originally seen her. When Deputy Olsen got on the scene, the park rangers said no one was inside And he was like super confused because he said, okay, well, somebody called 911 from inside this residence. So we have to like investigate further than just knocking and saying like, hello, anybody in here? (laughs) Yoo-hoo. They entered the home to make sure no one was inside, obviously, that needed assistance. They found that every window was covered in a super dark shade and the condition of the house was just nasty as hell. There was a bed in the corner of the room with broken glass, a broken lamp, and the mattress was like covered in blood. There was also an ice pick on the floor near the bed and the bed had shackles on each of the corners and what looked to be like a pulley system attached to the shackles. So that was their first kind of reaction to the home. There was also a pegboard, which was like kind of a bulletin board that had DIY torture devices on it. And in a bedroom, there was actually another bed, more chains, and a dresser that was covered in things like muzzles and sex toys and clamps and pliers. There were torturous pornographic photos on the walls. They described these as past the point of BDSM. As all of these things were being discovered, another call came in from an older woman who claimed she had a lady in her home covered in blood, naked, and with a chain around her neck claiming that she'd been raped 
and tortured and held against her will for days. The woman ran towards the officer in a pink robe when they arrived at the cute old couple's house that took her in. She hurled herself and she said, please don't let them get to me. This was what we know as his last known survivor, 22-year-old Cynthia Virgil. Cynthia had no idea where she was, but could tell you the names of Cindy and Dave and she knew their faces. She even pointed at the ranger and said, he's one of you. Because obviously she saw him in his mm-hmm. work uniform. Officer Wilson, who was another park ranger, heard the commotion on the radio and recognized the address. So he figured he would go check it out too. So that's three park rangers now on the scene. On his route, he noticed David and Cindy driving in the opposite direction <laughs> in like a beige RV. So when he got to the property, he saw that there was a giant sign that said David's name on it. And so he called for backup and he was like, listen, I just saw David driving down the road in a beige RV. Y'all need to go find him. Obviously, Officer Wilson presumed that they were going to be fleeing at this point. So he was the one to pull them over. He turned around real quick. He said, whip. He says, skirt, pulled them over. And then within a couple of minutes, there were a million officers that like showed up. David literally laughed and said, this isn't necessary. (laughs) What? (laughs) He got out of the vehicle and it's no big deal. Yeah. This is not necessary. He got out of the vehicle and was obviously immediately arrested. And when Cindy got out of the vehicle, they noticed that she kind of had like a giant gash above her ear. So they arrested her, but they took her to go get medical help. The first person that they wanted to hear from was obviously Cynthia because she was the victim. It was actually very sad when she was at the hospital. They took her to the hospital, obviously. When she got there, she just kept repeating to herself for four hours, I'm safe here. Like, isn't that the saddest thing you've ever heard? She hadn't eaten in days, so she couldn't keep anything down, just like kept throwing up anything that she was given. I thought this was a very telling to the kind of torture side of it all. The collar that was around Cynthia's neck literally had to be cut off by a maintenance worker (gasps) because they could not get it off of her. When she took it off, they said she threw it across the room, was so alleviated and upset. And she just like took it and chucked it across the room. Cindy was actually at the same hospital for treatment, which like, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. They escorted freaking Cindy right past Cynthia's room and Cynthia just started screaming. She said, that's her. Don't let her in. And Cindy said, that girl should be checked because that bitch is on heroin. Oh, oh no. So Cynthia did admit that she was once a heroin addict, but she was not on heroin. Cynthia was telling the officers kind of about her life. She admitted that she had lost her mother at a young age and that she used drugs to cope with it. Uh, She ended up becoming a sex worker and she did use heroin two days before her abduction is what she let them know. She told the police that she was walking into a restaurant in Albuquerque and noticed that she saw somebody she knew. Uh, The person pointed at an RV, a beige RV, and said that the person inside was looking to buy her services. Since she didn't have any money at the time, she figured, you know, well, I do need some money. I might as well try this out. The man inside the RV was obviously David Parker Ray. Once they left the parking lot, he showed Cynthia a badge and said she was under arrest. And this is when Cindy came over and tried to handcuff her. So she immediately started fighting back and David kind of got a good hit on her and dragged her 
into the back of the RV. She continued to fight throughout them, attaching her to one of the pipes in the back of the RV. Mm. Cynthia is attached to this pipe with handcuffs. Luckily, she was able to slip off of one of the pipes by like tugging really aggressively on it until the screws came loose at the bottom of the pipe. But of course, right when she did this, the vehicle stopped and you could hear her bump into a wall. David's home was 150 miles from where Cynthia was originally abducted in Albuquerque. When they got to his house, they pulled the RV right up to the house so that nobody could see what they were doing. She was shackled, led down a hallway into a bedroom, obviously where there was a bed, chains, shackles. Immediately, she was blindfolded and gagged. So this is where the tape recording comes in that I was speaking about. Oh, boy. I really didn't want to put a lot of this tape in here because first of all, it's 50 minutes long. I will have the YouTube video linked on our website where you can listen to the full audio if you want, but I didn't want to put all of that out there yeah, for thank you. you for that. Even what I'm about to say, it was like a little too much for me. Anyway, trigger warning for anybody who doesn't like this stuff, just skip for a few minutes. <laughs> so there was a tape recording that came on and said, I'll give you like three quotes here. So one of the quotes, which is how it started, was, Okay, bitch, we both know what you've been brought here for. I'm going to use you for a sex slave, and it's going to be painful as hell. That's the way I want it to be. That was one of the quotes. Another quote was... For a little while, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you've been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. The information I'm about to give you is based off of experience with captives over a period of several years. So I wanted to add that one in there because obviously he's been doing this for a really long time. I don't know how many people in total have heard this tape. Like, I can't imagine. Okay, the last one, uh, I really don't want to add it, but like, I feel like you needed a little bit of context of like what this audio was really about. He says, you're probably waiting to see what is going to happen to you next. You probably think you're going to be raped and you're fucking sure right about that. My primary interest is what you've got between your legs. I stopped there. I stopped there. It's okay. Everybody, we can go back now to not knowing what yeah, that video is about fine. or audio. I need that. Again, if you feel compelled as to listen to the audio, I will have it linked on the website. It's disgusting and I don't recommend it and it will haunt you for the rest of your life as it has done to me. So yes, David Parker Ray said that every victim was played this audio upon arrival in the tape. He says that he made the audio in 1993, and when Cynthia was listening to it, it was the year 1999. So that was already a long enough span of time. We do know that he was doing these things longer than that. This tape was introduced later on to his victims. Cynthia said that the way he spoke to her made her know it wasn't his first time. She said it was like he knew what he was doing. He told me I was never going to see my family again. He told me he would kill me like the others. In the room she was in, she was hung by chains from the ceiling. It had a very like oof gynec like a gynecology. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. It had a very gynecological no, no. setup. The two of them used whips, medical instruments, electric shock, and even sexual instruments to torture Cynthia. On Cynthia's third day in the toy box, David Parker Ray had to go to work, obviously, and Cindy 
accidentally left the keys to her restraints on a nearby table. This is kind of good, right? Mm -hmm. And Cynthia was able to get her hands free, kind of lunging her body towards Cindy. And this kind of started a a bit of a tuffle, a scuffle. A tuffle. Uh A scuffle. Yeah. Cindy tried to fight with Cynthia, but Cynthia was able to find a nearby ice pick. Remember? Mm -hmm. The police saw an ice pick. That was Cynthia. Obviously attacked her with this ice pick. I was very confused by different sources. I feel like I got that a lot. Like some small details were off in some of my sources. So there were some that said she was stabbed in the neck with the ice pick. Mm -hmm. There were some that said she had a gash above her ear. So I'm not really sure how Cynthia got to Cindy with the ice pick, but she did hurt her with this ice pick, which allowed her to then run out of the trailer naked, covered in blood with a chain around her neck as all of the police calls had explained we spoke about this before but david parker ray was arrested that day cynthia escaped from his house and his trailer shortly after the police acquired a warrant to search the house for evidence and that's when they found all of the shocking disgusting every adjective that goes around with those (laughs) sorry that's my adjective so i just want to warn you again that um i'm about to talk about some more fucked up shit because I am going to go into the details of what they found in David Parker Ray's uh, quote unquote toy box. David Parker Ray apparently spent about $100,000 to build this toy box up. It contained, again, as I said before, kind of a gynecological chair type thing in the middle of the trailer. There was a mirror mounted on the ceiling so that his victims could see all of the things that were happening to them. The floor was covered in whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps, leg spreader bars, surgical Uh, blades, mm. saws, and numerous sex toys. I'm good. I'm not done. (laughs) I'm all set. If you've had dinner, (laughs) you might throw up. I haven't. I'm starving, and I'm sure I won't be after this. Okay. Well, yeah, I was about to say, if you haven't, your appetite's going to be gone soon. Dinner. It's the morning. (laughs) Why did I just say dinner? You're so crazy. (laughs) Well, breakfast. Oh, boy. So aside from all of those items that were kind of all over the ground, there was also sex toys, syringes. There was a fur-lined coffin in there, too. Ew. Where he would apparently place his victims to torture them. And there was also some kind of box that had a hole cut out to hold victims' heads. I don't know. David Parker Ray also had a collection of anatomically correct dolls. He placed them in chains and bondage positions, I'm assuming, to show his victims exactly what he was going to do. There was a kind of like a wooden contraption used to bend over and immobilize the victims while he and his friends would rape them. On the walls, there were detailed diagrams showing different methods and techniques for inflicting pain. According to some articles, Ray would often use drugs that would induce amnesia and memory loss for his victims, like sodium... Oh God, I'm going to freaking murder these things too. (laughs) Murder, not a good word to say. (laughs) I am going to... Oh, you can't really do that with being out without being insensitive i was gonna say i'm gonna butcher these names i'm gonna murder these names probably probably not i am just going to simply say them incorrectly most likely he used sodium pentothal and phenobarbital yeah you did that right smart use my brain so that they couldn't remember exactly what happened to them 
The police also said that they found a videotape from 1996 showing just like a terrified woman being raped and tortured by uh, David Parker Ray and his girlfriend, Cindy. Not only did he have the audio tape that he played for these women, he had detailed journals about exactly what he did to these women. And it looks like he might have had some videotape memoirs as well. Okay. Thankfully, because of all the media around David Parker Ray's arrest, there were multiple women that were able to come forward and tell very similar stories to Cynthia's. One of them was Angelica Montano. She was actually an acquaintance of David Parker Ray, who, after visiting his home to borrow cake mix, like, is that not the most innocent thing? Oh, no. She was drugged raped and tortured by Ray before being left on a highway out in a desert. So that was one that got away. She was found by police and then there was like no follow-up on her case whatsoever. Okay. Like, are you kidding me? Obviously, now that the police had more than one person to go off of, Cindy started to talk as well because I bet you she had a lot to say. (laughs) Uh, Her testimony led the police to discover that David Parker Ray had actually not only been helped by Cindy, but also by his daughter, Jesse, and a friend named Denise Roy Yancey. Yancey admitted to participating in the murder of Marie Parker, who was abducted, drugged, and tortured for days by David Parker Ray and Jesse Ray before Yancey actually strangled her to death in 1997. Jesse was involved mostly in the abduction of Kelly Garrett, which was in 1996. This one's actually very sad. Kelly Garrett had a an argument with her husband. So she went to a, like a local bar where she met Jesse. Jesse had roofied her beer at the local bar and she and her father placed a dog collar and leash on her and brought her to the trailer. David Parker Ray then raped and tortured her for two days, keeping her on uh, like roofies basically the entire time she was there Um, After the two days, he... Okay, this is another one, how I said before, where like some sources said one thing and some sources said another. So I have two different stories about Kelly. One source said that David Parker Ray slit her throat, dumped her on the side of the road, and she just... She survived the encounter, but no one believed her story. The other one said that due to the effects of the drugs, she didn't really remember any of the events that went on. David Parker Ray actually dropped her off at her home in his park ranger uniform saying that he'd found her wandering along the lakefront beach. So those are the two different stories that I saw about Kelly and her return back home. Either way, apparently her husband said that, oh no, you actually went out because we got in a fight and you cheated on me. And I'm going to file for a divorce. So not only did that poor girl go through all of that, no one believed her. And she got divorced because of it, which was so sad. Since Kelly was obviously on date rape drugs, roofies, the whole time that she was there, she didn't know what happened to her. She couldn't remember anything. She didn't report the incident. Investigators, however, have the audio tapes from her torture. So it is a known thing that she was one of the victims. Luckily, as we heard before, everybody was arrested. (laughs) Cindy was sentenced in the year 2000 for her roles in the abduction and torture of Cynthia and Angelica Montano and received a sentence of 36 years in prisons, according to Prosecutor Yance. 36 years. This is going to piss you off. I already know it. You're going to be so mad. 
obviously being eligible for parole after serving only half of her sentence, Cindy was released in 2019, according... So she's chilling, right? I haven't heard about anything recently, but that was according to one of the local news stations there, KRQE. So she was released uh, in 2019. I can't fucking believe that shit. Oh my God. So David Parker Ray was sentenced in 2001 to 223 years in connection with kidnapping and other charges involving the two women who said he sexually tortured them uh, at his residence. This is according to the FBI. While David Parker Ray never admitted to any murdering, he did contact authorities in May of 2002 to let them know that he was willing to talk. This is where he said he claimed to have abducted 40 victims, according, again, according to the FBI. The toy box killer, quote, unquote, air quotes, was ultimately sentenced to 224 years in prison for numerous offenses, obviously including abduction and sexual torture. David Parker Ray's daughter, Jessie Ray, was about to stand trial, obviously, for helping her father kidnap Kelly Garrett. And this is when David Parker Ray actually offered to plead guilty to all the remaining charges in exchange for Jessie's release. What a good dad. Right? Cute father-daughter moment. No, Jessie Ray still received nine years. <laughs> You're going to hate this because this is your favorite thing to happen when somebody gets David Parker Ray died of a heart attack on May 28th, 2002, only three years into his sentence. Why does this happen? Gene Leroy Hart had that too. Prison sentences for marijuana. (laughs) Three years and then he died of a heart attack instead of serving his 224. (laughs) The Albuquerque FBI in 2011 released hundreds of images of items that were collected during their investigation of uh, David Parker Ray's trailer. The FBI said that releasing this, like releasing the images of the items would hopefully, because they were like jewelry and clothes, would hopefully let the public see if they recognized any of the items. In total, investigators collected more than a thousand pieces of evidence, which is crazy. To this day, the FBI, along with other law enforcement partners in New Mexico, are pursuing several leads in the search for the remains of any possible victims of David Parker Ray. They're asking family and friends of missing people to look over the photographs and contact them if they recognize any of these. So we we will have the URL on our website. If you're listening to this and any of this sparks anything in your brain, just go look at the images. That's what they're there for. We want to make sure that the remains of the victims are found so these families can have some kind of peace, some kind of peace, anything. Um, so we will have that URL on our website. Now I'm going to get into the profile of Mr. David Parker Ray, who, as we all could probably gather, is a sexual sadist. <laughs> It's very obvious when I was on psychology today, kind of looking it all up. The sexual sadist section is literally under the child neglection tab. I was like, oh, (laughs) so basically textbook for this man to be a sexual sadist. I will go over the definition of sexual sadism disorder. It is one of obviously several psychiatric sexual disorders categorized as paraphilic disorders. Paraphilias are sexual interests, preferences, fantasies, as we saw from David Parker Ray's 
early years urges behaviors outside of the normal that are considered symptoms of a disorder only if they are acted upon in ways that could cause distress and harm to others or oneself. As I'm saying, it's like this is very obvious <laughs> that uh, David Parker Ray fits into word for word this definition. <laughs> Sexual sadism refers to actually causing pain, humiliation, fear, or some form of physical or mental harm to another person to achieve sexual sexual gratification. This can be seen with everything David Parker Ray does. First of all, causing pain. That's He literally said, that's what he's going to do to you. He wants you to feel humiliated in the positions and the things he's doing to you. He wants you to be scared. All of these things that he's doing to cause physical and mental harm to these women, also that he is sexually gratified. Sadistic acts include restraints. Obviously, we saw that ropes, chains, handcuffs, imprisonment, which is what he did. He captured these girls and kept them imprisoned, biting, spanking, whipping, and beating. I never heard of him doing any of the biting, but he definitely had tools and things of that sort for spanking, whipping, beating. So that is clear as day. If a person that has sadistic sexual interests that cause no distress, dysfunction, or harm to consenting others... That's when it wouldn't be diagnosed as a disorder. So that's when earlier when I said this is past BDSM, Mm -hmm. like those are obviously consensual relationships. If you're into that stuff, you're into that stuff. This is past that. Like these are not consenting and it is causing distress and harm. Extreme sexual sadism can be criminal and lead to serious harm or even death of another person. This is where David Parker Ray falls just straight in. So he was extreme about his sexual sadism. That fits him. He obviously led to serious harm, death. Lastly, I'm going to talk about the causes. I kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, I wanted to use articles and smarter people's words to, you know, make this make more sense. According to Psychology Today, while no specific causes have been determined for sexual sadism disorder, there are obviously several theories, which include escapism or a feeling of power for someone who normally feels powerless in a day-to-day life, release of sexual suppressed fantasies, or progressive acting out of sadistic sexual fantasies over time. Other psychiatric or social disorders may be diagnosed along with sexual sadism disorder, though they're not necessarily the cause. So I hope that reading from that article on Psychology Today can kind of help you get a more full circle picture of how his life shaped the person he ended up becoming and now infamously known as the toy box killer. Like there's been movies about him. I saw some movies that came out in like 2018, 2019. Yeah. I feel like he should be more well known for the most part. Anytime that I bring up the toy box killer. Oh, have you ever heard of the toy box killer? Nobody really is like, Oh yeah, I know all about him. Kind of how I was talking about with Herb Baumeister before. It's not the most well known, but this case is literally like, like I'm done. Like I can't ever talk about him again. I talked about it for the podcast alone, but like I'll never listen to or talk about this man again because I hate him and he is disgusting and I literally have nightmares about him. 
But yeah, so I hope I didn't scare you guys too much because I know, fun fact about me, the first time I ever heard about the Toy Box Killer, I stopped listening to true crime for about a month. So I hope I didn't scare you guys too much. I promise next week I won't be as gruesome and I'm just sorry about this one. (laughs) I really am. It had to be done, I feel like, because it is like one of those cases that I'll never forget and like one of the ones I'm like, we're going to have to touch on this. But when we do, don't want to, but we gotta. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry again. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you so much for listening. Go follow us on social media at Crime on Caffeine on everything. Head over to our website and you can now buy us a coffee. If you go onto our website, there's a link right when you open it up. There's a little coffee cup at the bottom. So yeah, help us support the show and buy us coffee and give us some coffee recommendations because we're kind of running out of ideas. Yes. I was just about to say that. That's so funny. I obviously I go on, I buy coffee way too much, especially now that we're doing the podcast. All I do is buy coffee, but I feel like I don't know like indie coffee. Does that sound stupid? I don't know. No, I know what you're trying to say. You know how like beauty brands have like indie brands. I need some indie coffee brands. Like don't give us Starbucks, green mountain K cups. Like we want to know some, yeah, give us the goods, some hidden gems, if you will. Next week, Erica has another untitled case for me. She's doing this multiple times and it's very rude. so much more fun when you don't know what I'm going to do. So you can't look it up. I know, but like it drives me nuts, but I will say it is more fun for me too, to listen to you, but still I want to know. And this is the second time you did this to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You'll, you'll know the, a few like the next few after. Okay. So yeah, stay tuned for next week where Erica gives us a, a s- surprise. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening guys. Bye.